Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the House That Hinky Built podcast. As always, I am your host, Jackson Frank, uh, and per usual, this will be hosted on a Spotify green room. Uh, give me a minute here. I am su- suddenly out of breath for some reason, and I'll continue my monologue for the opening uh, opening part here, but give me a minute. All right. Um, I apologize for that awkward silence, <laughs> um, but I was running out of breath quite quickly. But anyhow, uh, the plan today is to bring on Tom West of Liberty Ballers, uh, SB Nation's Liberty Ballers, that is, uh, and we'll review. Um, so now that I've kind of moved beyond the, um, you know, the kind of the Ben Simmons trade centric portion of these podcasts, uh, the plan for now is to uh, kind of break down and, re- and recap some of the, you know, everyone's season on the Sixers who ended the year with them. Uh, we'll go from kind of bottom to top, you know, ending with the, you know, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid of the world. Um, but today, uh, today's episode will kick off this series. Um, so we'll start with the low minute squad. Um, the plan today with Tom here is to get through six guys uh, and that, and that those six would be uh, Rajon Tucker, Anthony Tolliver, Gary Clark, Mike Scott, Paul Reed, and Isaiah Joe. Um, we'll kind of discuss what we saw from each of those guys, if they're a free agent, whether we think the Sixers should look to retain them, um, if they're under contract next season, what maybe they could do to, you know, maybe crack the rotation a little more, um, maybe to great, give their season a grade on, you know, an A to F scale, um, and, you know, maybe talk about any notable relevant performances that we recall from the year. Um, and we'll just kind of go through that. Obviously, most of these guys won't warrant a ton of time, but I think the two that will are Isaiah Joe and Paul Reed. So we'll focus on them primarily, but we'll touch on everyone here. Uh, and obviously, as I get higher up the roster in terms of importance, more guys will get more more focus and longer longer time to talk. So I uh, won't be doing six of these every podcast. Uh, they'll get smaller and smaller as we continue to progress to the 17 guys at the end of the season on the roster. But Tom is here. I'm excited to talk with him, and we will get going. Hey, Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, thanks. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing pretty well. Um, you know, we're getting closer and closer to the actual offseason here as, as the NBA Finals kick off, which uh, means more free time and, uh, or I don't know about free time, but more uh, more time to figure out other 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 forms of content that aren't just about what's going on in the season. So, um, excited to talk today. Uh, we'll just kind of go, like like I said, as my little opening spiel there um, from bottom to top. Um, and I think the, the easiest way to kick it off, um, you know, would be to would be to start with I would say Gary Clark. You know he joined the season pretty late as a two way guy, um, didn't play a ton, but um, I'd be curious to kind of hear your general thoughts on the few minutes he did he did get. Um, he's kind of bounced around the league for a little bit. I know some places he's been kind of interesting, particularly in Houston for a couple of years at times. But um, what did you see from Gary this year? And then do you think he's worth you know giving another two-way contract next year. Just kind of give us, give us your thoughts on the, on the Gary Clark experience that was, that was brief this year. Yeah. I mean, it was very limited, like you said, I mean, there's just not much you can take away. I mean, he played 13 minutes in total uh, for the Sixers. So we really didn't get to see um, much from, you know, his previous stints in the league. Um, and I get the idea of, you know, why the Sixers gave him a shot. You know, they were they're looking for the help at that sort of stretch four position. I get the idea of him being, you know, he's a fairly, confident three-point shooter like he's shot at decent volume for his career about 6.9 attempts per 36 minutes although the sort of intrigue with that is a little bit higher than the actual sort of product you know he's only made about 31 percent of his threes <laughs> for his career mm-hmm. um so you know we didn't really see his shooting translate obviously with the sixes um i think that that's really the sort of only sort of plus you look for with him but i think you know obviously we can't say much about his sort of form this season but i don't think there should be any real sort of motivational particular sort of urgency from the Sixers to to look to bring him back um I don't know if you feel the same or if you think they should give him another shot next year or no yeah I tend to agree and I think maybe part of the reason he came in as a mid-season addition is he did have some familiarity with Daryl in the sense that he played for Houston both last year in 2018-19 so obviously Daryl had some sort of you know, connection and a little bit of affinity for him. But but I tend to agree. I think, you know, he, he is 26. Uh, I think the Sixers should be looking with those two-way spots to really kind of find some younger guys who could maybe play in with the blue coats and kind of do what Paul Reed did, you know, going from a two-way guy to uh, converting that into a, a, a full-time contract. 
Uh, I'm just trying to find someone with a little more, like, I, I don't like using the word upside as, as just kind of a blanket term, but I think at this point, you kind of understand that Clark is a guy who, unfortunately, for his sake, is probably going to bounce around um, and wasn't able, hasn't really been able to stick. So I, I don't think they really need to keep him around. Um, like, or, I don't know if to keep him around, but like, I wouldn't prioritize him as a two-way guy next year. I think bringing in someone younger, whether it's an undrafted guy or just maybe someone who's put up good product, productivity in the G League or things like that would be more worthwhile. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, it's interesting. He, he shot the ball pretty well uh, in limited volume at Cincinnati, 38.3% about an attempt a game over four years. So about 140 attempts or so, um, but yeah, it hasn't come around for him yet. So, uh, no real inclination to keep him, keep him, uh, you know, or no priority, I guess is the best way to, to phrase that there. Um, anything you want to maybe, I mean, for me, like I would just give him an incomplete grade, like because you, as you mentioned, only 13 minutes. Like it's he didn't really play any consequential minutes this year. Um, do you feel the same? Like I don't want to, I don't want to give this guy a grade without, you know, if if it yeah. if he doesn't really feel like he's I he's mean, played much enough to to, yeah. to garner one. I mean, if you put everything together, he's just about scraped his way to one quarter of play. And like <laughs> you said, you know, it's inconsequential minutes, it's garbage time. So yeah, I have to go incomplete with that. And yeah, like you said, I think if they can try and find someone maybe with a bit more upside or just get a different look at someone who could bring something a little more to the team. And that's sort of definitely where they should go. I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think we're in agreement there. So don't want to spend too long on the, for lack of a better term, the 17th man on the, on the roster uh, when the season ended. So uh, next guy that I want to touch on though, is Ray John Tucker. Who I think carries a little more or significantly more intrigue, uh, even if he still only played about 70 minutes or so a little fewer than 70 i believe um let's check here quickly uh he ended up playing 68 minutes he uh scored 34 points 9 of 18 from the field 2 of 7 from 3 which means he was 7 11 from 2 uh which is good 11 rebounds 6 assists a couple of steals 4 turnovers um what do you make of tucker because i you know he's someone that i know tobias harris at times mentioned what he would train with you know kind of letting letting tucker be kind of an isolation guy let let uh that Tobias kind of refine his mid post game and whatnot. Um, and has some pretty interesting, you know, athletic tools. He, you know, he was a pretty big athlete at, I think he went to university of Louisiana Lafayette. If I recall, let me check that quickly. Um, sorry, uh, Arkansas little rock. It looks like, um, I don't know why I got that all off, but, uh, geez, I'm not doing my job apparently as a podcast host <laughs> here, but, um, went to little rock there, but clearly a pretty, uh, intriguing athlete, high flyer, saw some stuff kind of in pregame warms at times, but, what do you make of Rajon Tucker's 68 minutes this year, uh, just kind of during his, his duration as a, as a sixer? Yeah, I mean, again, not too much you can take away. Obviously, love the pregame dunks. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's I mean, he's got to be the best leaper on the team, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you like his confidence attacking the rim. He's not taken too many threes in the NBA yet. Um, obviously, you'd kind of like to see that from the Sixers win players. I know when he's been in the G League, he's taken them at a bit of a higher rate and a slightly higher clip. Um, so you'd think maybe with more more reps, maybe a bit more opportunity, he might sort of look to up his threes a little bit in the NBA um, if he did get a few more minutes with the Sixers. Um, but still sort of, you know, interior-oriented scorer. Um, a little bit of defensive upside, you know, just with his athleticism, you know, he's a strong guy. Um He's fairly sort of locked into that end of the floor. And, you know, like you mentioned, he's, you know, close with, like, the guys on the team. Uh, he works very closely with Tobias, you know, working on their post-game isolation scoring and that kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, he's a great athlete. So I think there's definitely a bit of intrigue there. Uh, I don't think there should be, you know, if, if you know, someone else becomes available, I think the Sixers should, you know, keep their options open with their two-way slots. But I think if they want to keep looking at Rajon Tucker and, you know, give him a bit more of a chance, I think it's, it's much more worth keeping him around than someone like Gary Clark, you know, like we've said, is a bit older, a bit less upside and, you know, not as much intrigue there. Yeah. Uh, and I, and Ryan, Ryan Jones in here saying that PD, PD of PD Wilder on Twitter uh, said he was the best athlete in the G league. Uh, he did play 15 games, of the blue coats this year in the G league averaged 19.4 points, 4.7 rebounds, 4.1 assists, 1.1 steals and half a block in 33 minutes uh, shot over 50% from two point range. About five, about five threes per game. His true shooting was 61.9 this year. Uh, was quite good last year uh, as well with Wisconsin Herd and the Salt Lake Stars, I believe, is, is Utah's uh, affiliate there in the G League. So uh, for his career, he's averaged 23.4 points per game in the G League. Um, so, yeah, he's a guy that I think is probably worth keeping around. Like if you can get him again um, on a two-way contract, like oh, for his sake, I hope he's able to you know parlay it into something a little more concrete. Um, but I do think... <laughs> 
Of course, Resident Tucker's not going to be the guy that like solves your shot creation woes, but I do think they could use a little more, you know, burst and spring and you know, kind of pop on the wing there. Um, so he's a guy that I would certainly kind of, I would certainly think it would be a smart decision if, if things kind of fall or break right that they they bring him back um, because you've certainly seen an ability to kind of slash and get downhill and be kind of decisive as a, as a rim attacker from the perimeter, which is which is something the Sixers have kind of kind of lacked at sort of Jimmy Butler during the you know the Joel Embiid era, maybe aside from from Tyrese Maxey. So um, yeah, he's a guy that like it's not imperative that they bring him back, but I think he's a he's someone much as you said, much more worthwhile than Gary Clark. And um, I wouldn't by any means criticize uh, them using another two-way contract in him next season, um, especially in a year that maybe it's a little, little more, I guess, stable. Um, maybe you can kind of, you know, I, I know, I know this year that like the, G, the, the, ten, the two ways, you had much more time to be up with the, you know, like the major league club, I guess, or the, the NBA team, I guess is the best way to put it there. Um, but yeah, he's a guy I'm at least intrigued by. And I, I do think I'm like I want to I lean toward giving him a little bit of a positive grade. Like I'd probably give him a, a C plus. Um, again, they only play a little bit, but I think what you saw there's 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 some there's interesting athleticism there, particularly on offense. And the Sixers need more of that in the wing. So, um, how do you how do you feel? Anything you want to add about Rajon before we kind of talk about maybe a couple of the the power forward vets that this, the team had? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think anything else to add uh, with Tucker. Like you said, I think you know C plus is fair. Some intrigue, I think. You know, if the Sixers want to keep him around, I think that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we'll carry over to a couple of veteran power forwards the Sixers had this year, kicking off with Anthony Tolliver, who was signed, I want to say, in either March or April. Um, really didn't play much. I want to say his most notable play to me was I think he had either a charge or a, a block at the rim on Giannis. Does that sound familiar to you, Tom? Do you remember that play at so. all? Yeah, no, I think he, yeah, I think he might have picked up a block, yeah. Yeah, one of the one of the one of those games when the Sixers were in Milwaukee in April and and decimated by injuries, rest, whatever it may be during that during that kind of really weird stretch in their season. Uh, um, when that was when Ben was out, uh, and then Joel missed the second game too. I think, and so it was like, when I, anyhow, Tolliver played a few minutes in that game, and I, that's my my most uh, my. My most, uh, I guess, what's start not stark, but most uh, concrete memory of him during his time with the Sixers is drawing a block or a chart or something. Uh, yeah, he played 21 minutes in that second game in Milwaukee, played four minutes in that first one. So um, he's a guy that, you know, he only spoke with the media a couple times, but I was very impressed with kind of his his candor. Um, I don't know if you ever, you ever will catch either of his, you know, sparse media availabilities but that was really the biggest thing that stood out to me is like it, it was clear why he's bounced around the league so much because he's someone that clearly does have a locker room presence but at this point it seems like he's a little over the hill in terms of movement skills uh, was obviously a pretty dang good stretch for for a number of years uh, you know he's a career 37.3 uh, percent guy from deep he's played since 2008 um, so he's been in the league for 13 years now um, but what did you make of you know Tolliver's 99 minutes uh, with the Sixers this year yeah, I think just, I mean, it, it, it's tricky because, again, it, you know, it's such a sort of small sample of minutes. But, you know, the main thing you bring him in for is the Sixers wanted a guy who could stretch the floor as, you know, a stretch four. Or, you know, if, you, if you're really going small and all in on offense as a, a very small ball five. Um, and, I, you know, he went four or 14 from three, I think, uh, with, the, with the Sixers. He never really kind of got going with that aspect of his game, which was really meant to be the sort of main plus he could offer. Um you know, maybe, maybe that changes, you know, next next season if you bring him back. But I think at this point he is kind of, you know, like you mentioned, his his movement skills, his lateral quickness is going down a bit at this stage of his career. Um, if he's struggling a bit defensively, it's it's tough to go smaller with him on the floor. And, you know, I don't know what's happening with Ben Simmons, for instance. You know, we're not going to dive into that mm. now. But, you know, if the Sixers do downgrade a bit, you know, defensively, um, you kind of need more pluses around, you know, guys like Embiid, you know, anchoring inside and Tolliver doesn't really sort of fit that bill so much now. Um, so if you're really looking at him as a sort of low 30s percent shooter, if he doesn't sort of get back up to where he has been in his better years, I'm, I'm not sure how much value he brings at this point. Um, so I think if the Sixers think about moving on, I think that would sort of be understandable. Yeah, he he's a guy that I got I got the idea behind like you know another uh, maybe a, a spacer who could actually kind of contribute um, and whatnot. And obviously, again, I think there is something to be said for kind of the locker room presence he's seemingly brought everywhere he's gone. But um, and I don't want to over, overstate that. I think there's a healthy balance of that, of course. But it did to me feel like a, a misstep to use your last roster spot on another power forward on a team that had been Simmons, Tobias Harris, Mike Scott. 
um, already, whereas they only had two centers, and you saw that their their lack of center depth what was an issue. Um, you know, it wasn't the biggest issue as to why they, they lost that series, but against the Hawks. But I think it was something that really kind of it would have been nice to have a little more, you know, option, a little little more optionality um, there, you know, to bring in someone else if you didn't want to go with Ben at the five. So uh, that's not Toller's fault, Tolliver's fault, of course. That's you know that's something that I deem a misstep of, of Darren Moore in the front office there. Um, but it, it's just one of those things where, you know, it does kind of, it, it doesn't, you don't, hold, you don't hold it against him, but it does kind of bake into my analysis to an extent about kind of his standing on the team, even if it's not a criticism of him or anything, but it just felt like, just felt like a thing that didn't, didn't really make sense after they traded their third and fourth string centers in the George Hill deal. Um, they really never kind of, you know, supplemented that, especially because a guy like Joel, you, you always, not that you want to like expect Joel to get injured, but you always do kind of have to assume that there's going to be a game or two that he needs. He takes a night off, whether it's for maintenance or something's you know, bothering him a little bit. And I just don't think they quite, quite use that last roster spot as effectively as they should have. Yeah. That kind of Tolliver felt to me just sort of like a sort of last ditch signing. Um, at that point, you know, like other centers were kind of being connected to the six and it made sense that, you know, Dwayne Dedman, you know, trying to find a, a center, maybe he could protect the rim a bit and shoot, you know, the old three. Um, there are a couple of guys sort of on the buyout market that that made sense and would have been much more valuable in that third center spot. And when they went to other teams, you know, the Sixers were kind of left with limited options. And, you know, maybe that's, you know, guys wanting to go somewhere else. I think the Sixers have to have some blame there as well, just for not finding someone like you mentioned um, once Tony Bradley was traded. Um, so, yeah, at that point, Tolliver didn't really address any of the main needs like you mentioned. But, yeah, I, yeah, you can't put all that on him. Obviously, it's you know down to the Sixers as well. But yeah, if they're looking elsewhere next year, I think it's sort of time to move on with that. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, of course, on the buyout market, you know, the guy like, the guy like Dwayne Dibbon has all the control in the world. If he, if he really wanted to go to the Heat, who, who knows? Maybe maybe Maury reached out and the team reached out and he he preferred you know Miami. So um, it is worth noting Tolliver is on a he his he was he had a ten day and then it was restructured to an, an rest of the season move. I think back in April. Um, and it was, they added a second year, uh, it was, it's fully, becomes fully guaranteed 30, oh my goodness, becomes fully guaranteed 30 days after the last day of the moratorium, according to, uh, Bobby Marks of ESPN, uh, it's a $2.7 million contract. Um, to me, that's just something that, you know, like I, you never want to you know, whittle a guy down or condense a guy down to salary filler. But to me, the main reason I did that is to give them more avenues to, you know, add on salary in a deal. Um, of course, that's not me saying that Anthony Tolliver is just salary, but that's the main reason that I think they made that move to give him a little more guarantee. But um, I wouldn't expect uh, Tolliver to be on the roster at the beginning of next season's uh, training camp. So uh, even though he is kind of, he does have a second year, um, that's how I view it. And I, I don't think by any means it's like, I don't think they should bring him back as the roster is currently constructed. I don't think it's worth bringing him back um, just because they have enough kind of size and the, and whatnot at the four spot. Of course, you know, uh, the next guy we'll talk about is free agent and, you know, Ben Simmons, you know, future with the Sixers up in the air. So maybe their, their front court depth could be a little more uh, depleted uh, than it is, you know, when the season ended. But um, for now, I don't think tall is a guy who should be on any sort of priority to, to retain. Um, and I feel like, I assume you, you feel the same way about that as you kind of noted a little earlier. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I feel the same. I think it's time to move on and sort of look elsewhere. And yeah, they, they have other roster needs that they need to prioritize. Cool. Uh, and for everyone listening, um, we are going to get in some of the more fun stuff in here just a minute. Uh, I apologize for the background noise. My dog is barking quite loudly, uh, which is part of the course on all of these podcasts, seemingly. Uh, so I apologize for that, of course. Um, we're going to get into one more veteran guy here. I promise the fun stuff will we will get into the, the B-Ball Paul and the Isaiah Joe talking here in just a minute. Um, but our last guy here is Mike Scott, um, who is a free agent, I believe. I want, I'm almost positive on that one. I think he had a two-year $9 million contract signed uh, in 2019. Let me double check here. Um, yeah, he had two years, $9.8 million. Um, and so he will be a free agent when this league season ends in the next couple or three weeks or so. Um, Mike had a... Mike was great in his, his when he came over in the Tobias Harris deal along with Boban Marjanovic, um, was really good. He shot forty percent from three, I think. He hit that game winner in game game four against the the Nets, I believe. Um, clearly had a certain certain level of chemistry with the fans and Jimmy Butler at the time. Um, but really started last year with some injuries. Struggled again this year with some knee injuries, and you know at times was kind of in the rotation, but uh, was was not in the rotation by any means when the season ended. So. Um, what did you make of Mike's year? Uh, and I just want to circle back. I'm not, I'm going to give Tolliver an incomplete. I don't really think, you know, I'll give maybe a C minus. That's how I would kind of view it. But 
and you can chime in when we talk about the Mike Scott thing. But what did you uh, what did you make of Mike Scott's season season this year? Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, you know, he's he's a good fit with the team in terms of you know just from a chemistry standpoint. He's obviously a popular guy. Obviously, been great with the fans for his time with Philly, so you have to give him plenty of credit for that. But yeah, just on the court, it was it was a pretty rough year for Mike Scott. Uh, unfortunately, at this point, you know, his his quickness has declined. His defense isn't where it used to be. Um, he had his worst shooting season from three at 34%. Uh, his worst year uh, from three since 2015 to 16, um, if you exclude 16 to 17, because he only played a handful of games that year. Um, so he's really sort of trended down all around. Um, and yeah, it's, it's tough because, you know, we've, we've talked about the Sixers wanting sort of, you know, more stretch for help. And, you know, when they when they did go small with, you know, sort of Simmons, Mike Scott front court uh, at times, albeit briefly, uh, you know, if Mike Scott's a liability defensively, it's just really hard to go to those looks. And if he's not hitting threes, he's really not adding any value at this point. Um, and it just sort of felt far too rare where he'd have a hot game from three and sort of give the Sixers a bit of a lift. So um, maybe this is the end of his time in Philly. Uh, and I think it's it's been, you know, it's been fun overall. I think the fans have certainly enjoyed him, but I think, at this point of his career, he's sort of reached the point where he's not a positive anymore. And yeah, I think it's, it's probably time to move on at this point. Yeah. I think it just seems like he's really gone through a lot of different knee ailments throughout the past couple of years. And you, you can see that a lot in his threes. I feel like a lot of times they're, they're short, they're, they're well off to the right or left. Like it just doesn't feel like he's got that same level of stability in his jumper um, these days. Like I think back to that game, you know, uh, against Milwaukee in, in March, I believe, um, right after Embiid went down and, and Mike Scott had what, like three or four wide open threes in that game. Uh, and again, the Sixers were, were struggling for offense and he went like, it was, it was a March 17th game when they lost in overtime and that kind of that rock, that rock fight. Oh, um, five from three. And like, if I recall, at least four of those threes are wide open. Um, of course, you don't want to boil a guy's performance down to one game, but um, just couldn't deliver from three uh, uh, at the degree he wanted, especially given how open most of his looks were this year. Um, as you mentioned, 34% from three, you know, only 36% from the field overall. So 41% from two for a guy who's, you know, six, seven, six, eight. That's that's really tough. Um, and yeah, just just wasn't very good defensively this year either. Um so for me, yeah, I think it's time to move on, and uh, and I don't I don't know like I don't want to read it. I don't want to do like the you know, read it into cryptic Instagram post, but he did the big long kind of photo dump yeah, the other week, yeah. um, a bunch about all of his positive experiences, whether it was you know the, the Mike Scott Hive tailgate stuff, you know tailgating with Eagles fans, you know doing doing you know uh, meet, meet and greets with with Mitchell and Ness in Philadelphia, um, some of his best performances in in a Sixers uniform. So um, I don't know if that was a goodbye or just kind of an appreciation for the last couple of years, two and a half years, but. Um, certainly felt like something at least there where, where Mike realizes it might, you know, might be his, his time might be up here. Um, and I, I think for the Sixers, it's just, it's not worth bringing him back. Like, I mean, giving him two years, 10 million to basically be a non-rotation play the last couple of years w- was tough for them. Um, that's not to say that like Mike Scott shouldn't have made money, um, of course there, but uh, when you're kind of trying to win a title as the Sixers aspirations have been the last couple of years, despite falling well short, um, it's really tough to give, you know, two years, 10 million to a guy you can't really count on to be in the rotation um, off the bench. So um, for me, like I would probably give him a, like a D like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be too rude, but like he had a, he had a tough year. He had a very poor year. Um, he got a lot of open looks from three and couldn't capitalize. And, and that's what the Sixers need him to do is be a, is be a stretch four. And uh, he wasn't really a stretch four this year, unfortunately. So um, how would you kind of assess his year before we may, maybe move on to the, uh, to the, uh, the fun, the fun parts of, of, of these, these low minute squad guys with a couple of rookies. Yeah. I mean, I think I don't want to be overly harsh, but I think I was going to be even a bit more strict than you and give him a knee. Um, I just think, <laughs> you know, with the defensive decline and, and just not being reliable from three. And, you know, you mentioned some of his, his bad games. Like, he did have some really bad misses this year, um, obviously, besides just having the low percentage um, that felt far too frequent. So, I think, yeah, it, it was a rough year. Um, I don't know what his future holds, whether he'll, you know, be able to land somewhere else um, if he leaves the Sixers or what. But, yeah, it, 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 was, a, it was a really rough season for him. And, uh, yeah, I think it's sort of, sort of time for the Sixers to move on. Yeah, I think you know. For I think what's cool though is, for a lot of fans, you're, he's always going to have that that deeper connection because he was you know really 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 did embrace the city and the fans uh, rather quickly. Um, you know whether it was I think he was pretty I think he was involved like 
I want to say shortly after the trade, the Sixers played um, the Sixers played the uh, the Blazers in Philadelphia without Embiid and Cantor and, and Simmons got in a little scuffle and Mike Scott was like without even a thought was like in Cantor's face. Um, kind of defending Ben there, you know, and he didn't, I, I want to say that was maybe the second or third game, fourth game of, of his time when the Sixers, let me double check here quickly. Um, let's see. So that he was traded. His first game with the Sixers was February 8th. This was February 23rd. So he was two weeks in and he, he didn't even think about it. Um, I thought that was cool, but uh, not trying to get too sentimental, of course, but I, but I do, I do think it was cool. Someone who knows a lot of Sixers fans and whatnot, it was cool to see um, how much they embraced him and how much he embraced them over the last couple of years. Even if it was, even if people sour a little bit because of his, his decline on court play, he's someone who I think a lot of Sixers fans will always have a nice place in their heart for. But uh, so Mike Scott, uh, Sixers kind of off court legend, uh, even if on the court he struggled over the last couple of years. But um, I think that's it's okay. You don't always have to be someone who looks really valued his on court contributions. But anyhow, I'm rambling a little bit. Let's get on to the two rookies. A um, couple of guys here in uh, Isaiah Joe and B Ball Paul. Uh, Paul Reed, for those who are unacquainted, and if you're unacquainted, you should get acquainted with the B Ball Paul nickname, of course. Um, let's start with Isaiah Joe. Um, Pretty interesting, you know, guy. You know, as, he, as a prospect, I really liked him. You know, I had him in my first round last year when I was doing a lot of draft work. Um, just a really, really high-level shooter out of Arkansas. Quick trigger, deep range, smart team defender as well. Um, I thought he had a pretty solid rookie year. Um, you know, 36.8% from deep uh, on 2.6 attempts per game and 9.3 minutes per game. Uh, per 36 minutes, that comes out to be 10 threes per game, uh, or 10, 10 threes per 36 minutes, 36.8% uh, from deep. The three-point rate was 79.7%. Um, unfortunately, only shot 9 of 27 from two-point range, uh, 33%. So clearly has a long way to go with his strength development. But we saw kind of some some instances this year where he was in the rotation and you know, kind of held his own. So what did you make of Isaiah Joe's rookie season? Yeah, I was impressed. I think, you know, like you mentioned, I, I was quite high on him as a rookie. You know, I... I did most of my research for the draft like around draft time and you know I'd spend nearly as much time watching games through the quarter season as you do but I was hiring him going in and I think he kind of did everything you wanted for him you know like you mentioned he was in the rotation for a bit and there was even a point in the season when kind of fans were having the discussion like should he take Furkan Korkmaz's spot you know when mm. Korkmaz was kind of slower from three to start the year um, and Isaiah Joe was playing really well and I think yeah, obviously some sort of holes in this game that we'll get into, but I, I liked what I saw. I think, you know, his confidence from three is is awesome for the team. Um, like, closeouts don't really bother him. He can shoot from a couple of steps behind the arc, which is something that not many players on the team would do. Um, he shoots quickly all the time. You know, he can come off movement, come off the odd screen. Um, and I just think, yeah... He, he did everything to, and defensively, I think, was where he probably impressed me more, just because I knew there was some defensive intrigue to what he could do with kind of his size, his length. Um, but he, he moved his feet well, I thought. Um, he had a pretty good sense of sort of when to help and, and rotate, and he had some some nice sort of help rotations around the rim as well. Um, I didn't think he made too many mistakes for a rookie. Um, I thought he was pretty sound there, um, just sort of being in the right spots at the right time, being pretty engaged. And, and Doc Rivers complimented him just you know how good he was defensively a few times through the year and had quite a lot of praise for him at that end of the floor and I think I think that was fair um so I think yeah just with the shooting you know his sort of very advanced shooting skill set the volume he had there and the defense I was I was quite impressed for the most part yeah I'm, I'm just looking kind of back through some notes and whatnot so it was on he was on January 14th when it sounded like uh you know uh, Isaiah Joe might be entering the rotation. Doc Rivers said Isaiah adds another guy, another guy to the rotation. Now that didn't end up be tr- being true, um, but it just spoke to kind of the way Isaiah was able to, you know, uh, make an imprint. And you mentioned the defense. Like I was really impressed with his defense this year. Like guy, I mean, players, coaches repeatedly talked about like, they were really impressed with it. Um, really good off the ball, really physical too. Like despite you know being really yeah. slender, um, plays a lot of physicality. Like I remember a play uh, in when the Mavs were in, were in Philly um, end of the quarter where I think Isaiah Joe was like, uh, he was like trying to chase Jalen Brunson on an end of quarter play and just got slammed by a screen, but you know, fell to the ground, got right back up, had no issue there. Um, but just really impressed with the level of physicality, smart team defense, um, made a lot of really good interior rotation, but was also good on the ball, like despite his, his, his slender frame there. So um, mm. he's a guy that honestly, like I, I think 
you know, you mentioned Furkan Korkmaz. Obviously, he's a free agent. Um, Furkan is a, was a fine rotation player. Of course, I'll talk about him at a later date in one of these podcasts um, since he was actually in the rotation consistently this year. Um, but he's a guy that I think, you know, as it, Isaiah, that is, um, is someone that I think maybe makes Furkan not a huge priority to bring back. Like if, if, if I was, and that's not to say they shouldn't bring him back at all costs, but, or at any cost, excuse me, but um, I think if Isaiah Joe takes a step forward, like he can fill that Furkan role and be much, and be like better defensively. Like I would, like Furkan made some strides offensively this year, um, whether it was his lateral mobility, his change, his change of direction on the ball, things like that. But um, just the level of advancement you saw from Isaiah as a rookie, despite, you know, not getting a ton of minutes and it being such a weird, weird year uh, is really encouraging. So he'll really have to improve kind of his two point ability or become like a 40% three point shooter. Like you can't be 37% on with such a quick trigger and be, and be like a really viable rotation guy at this. Like you really like you got to be either increase three point, increase the three point efficiency or become a, a tenable two-point score, um, even if it's unlimited volume. Uh, right now, he's not quite there, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets there. Like I, I really do think he's someone that I that could be in the rotation next year, and um, and that would be huge for the Sixers in terms of how they approach free agency and trying to cover some of their holes this year. Um, they don't have to pay, you know, Furcon, and, and Furcon is going to get paid by someone, um, which is which is great for him, of course. Um, but if you can f- have Isaiah Joe fill that role, eighty-five percent, ninety-five percent of that role, um, that's huge. So. Um, did you have any certain games or moments that stood out to you from Isaiah Joe that really kind of impressed you? Because I do think there 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 are more, definitely more of those than some of the other guys we've talked about so far. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you touched on it briefly, but I had written down that January 14th game against Miami. Uh, 12 points, I think he hit four threes, and he mm-hmm. kind of showed, with each of those threes, I think he kind of showed off his skill set a little bit. Um, and just his defense that game stood out to me, like just his off-ball awareness, mm-hmm. his rotations. He had a really nice uh, defensive uh, play where he blocked uh, Tyler Hero on a drive mm-hmm. um, just stuck with him really well, you know, kind of used that physicality, like you said, despite being fairly sort of slender build, um, used his length well, just blocked him on inside and yeah, just did a bunch of nice stuff, I think, at both ends of the floor. Um, and then one more just before that, sort of during his spell where he got in the rotation uh, January 11th against the Hawks, uh, mm-hmm. 18 points, four threes, um, again, just kind of showed off his whole shooting arsenal, like shooting off the catch really quickly, had a three-off movement. I think he he ran sort of off a high ball screen as well and hit a pull-up three, um, made a few nice defensive plays as well, had a couple of steals. Um, so there were some sort of really bright moments where he did have increased minutes, shot well, you know, brought it defensively. And yeah, I think there were quite a few sort of positive moments for him through the year. And when he did get extra minutes, I think he delivered about as well as you could expect. And you know, for the 49th pick, I think the value that the Sixers got already in year one, you know, the upside he has, like you mentioned, the sort of potential to kind of take over Cork Mars' role if he if he does leave, I think is is really encouraging. And yeah, I liked what I saw. Were there any other sort of specific games that stood out to you? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think he had a few plays in the in the game against Memphis in Memphis in mm-hmm. kind of that similar stretch. Um, pulling up the stat line here quickly, but I'm just looking, looking at some of my tweets and, and, and kind of seeing just some plays from that game stick out as well. He was six points, two of four overall, two of three from deep, but um, had a you know had a, had, a re, had an assist and six points there. Um, but yeah, kind of that mid-January stretch when the team was dealing with some with some COVID absences was kind of his most prolific stretch. Which obviously, it's not the way you want that to come, but um, it did happen there. So, um, what would be kind of one or two areas of improvement you think? would be key for Isaiah to go from you know, kind of flirting with rotation end of the rotation minutes to being a guy who could really actually be that kind of that sniper off the bench next year as a seventh, eighth, ninth man. Well, I think we've talked a bit, you know, quite a lot about his defense. And I think, you know, he's, I think he's already probably better than Korkmaz at that end of the floor. Um, you know, you, like you mentioned, Korkmaz did improve there a bit. You know, he was better in passing lanes. I think he's improved his foot speed a little bit and he's a bit sharper off the ball. But Isaiah Joe kind of has... Yeah, he just has much more upside there with his length and his quickness. But I think if he can add a little bit of strength, that would definitely help him. You know, he can be sort of overpowered by, you know, bigger, sort of stronger wings, you know, on drives and on the ball. Um, and, you know, like you said, you know, he, he is physical, but I think if he can add a little strength, you know, he doesn't have to bulk up loads, but I think that would help him. Um, and then just offensively, you know, like you mentioned, the, the two-point scoring. Um, I was looking at his uh, basketball reference shot profile <laughs> earlier, and I it's, it sort of sounds too low to be true, but apparently he had four shots at the rim for the season, which is <laughs> which is crazy low. Um, it almost seems fake, but <laughs> that's what it said. Um, 
So if he can just kind of, you know, sharpen up his handle a little bit, work on being able to beat more closeouts, you know, just with the attention he commands from three, like it's great that he can draw so much attention and he's not bothered by closeouts as a shooter. But if he can kind of capitalize off that gravity a little bit, look to get to the rim a little bit more, you know, be a bit more comfortable with his handle, maybe get downhill slightly more often when he does have the old ball screen to work with. I think that would be really helpful, just him sort of rounding out his shot profile and adding a bit more diversity rather than sort of living off the three-point line because I think about 80% of his field goal attempts came from three, um, which isn't, you know, too surprising. Like, he wasn't asked to do too much on the ball. Um, you wouldn't expect him to be, you know, he's coming in as a shooting specialist. But if he can get downhill a little bit more, do a bit more with his handle, I think that would certainly help him a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that I think I saw. I, I, I might have tweeted something out earlier in the year, earlier in the year uh, too, or maybe when the season ended, um, about kind of that low rim frequency number. But uh, yeah, just one thing I wanted to note too, and I agree with everything you said. I think just becoming a little better scorer inside the arc would help because if he actually does become a rotation player, teams will just start running him off line if they know he can't score inside the arc. Um, but that's where I think he's pretty good at sidestep three shot fakes things like that. So wouldn't be as big of a big of a concern because again he is such a I really do buy him as a really really awesome off ball shooter um, yeah. but just something you you want to kind of help add value there but um, another thing I thought was kind of interesting to mention kind of his physicality is he drew 15 offensive fouls this year um, in only 383 minutes which uh, I don't know what maybe the going rate for that sort of number is but to me on the un- untrained eye that seems pretty high uh, it's about one every 25 and a half minutes. Uh, seems pretty, seems pretty good. Um, but I think the grade I would give him would probably be a, a B, B plus. Um, where would you kind of land on Isaiah Joe's rookie year? Yeah, I, I put down B plus. I think you know with the defense, you know, quality shooting, and and you know obviously he didn't have too many minutes. So I, I can't give him a, a super high grade, but I think I think a B plus is fair. Just like he impressed me at both ends of the floor, to be honest. Um, he had games where he was a clear plus and he was kind of fighting for rotation minutes, albeit when, you know, the sixes were depleted, but he was sort of competitive for playing time. And I think, you know, coming as the 49th pick, like I couldn't have really expected much more from him. And I don't think the sixes would have either. Um, so, yeah, I think I think a B plus is, is well deserved. Yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter, fact of the matter is he was a 21-year-old uh, mid-second-round pick, and we're talking about him having a chance to be a rotation guy next year, um, which is all you can ask. Like, and it doesn't, I don't feel like we're being overly optimistic about his chances to maybe be a low-end rotation guy next year. Like, it feels, it feels conceivable. We're not just kind of, you know, going over the moon about him. So uh, lots of good stuff from Isaiah Joe this year. Really encouraged, really interested to see what he does in Summer League this year. Um, see kind of maybe the ways he improves. I imagine we'll get a lot more on-ball reps for him, kind of the same way we uh, get to see Zaire Smith play on the ball more last time the Sixers had a summer league or the NBA had a summer league, um, of course. So curious to see what he can do there, if he's added any weight, if he's added any functional strength. Um, of course, that won't be the litmus test for if he can be a rotation player, but um, we'll get to see more Isaiah Joe in, you know, in a month or so, and I'm excited to see that because he, he was a fun experience this year. But we will shift gears to uh, seemingly already one of the Beloved fan favorites in Philadelphia. Um, two of the Sixers, fa- two of the Sixers fans' favorite players are rookies this year, and Bebo Paul and Tyrese Maxey, um, which is uh, which is funny to say. But uh, Bebo Paul, Paul Reed, um, the G League MVP as a rookie, um, was really really awesome in the G League bubble this year. Um, endeared himself to fans um, through his Twitter uh, persona. But what did you make of Paul Reed's season? Um, kind of that small ball, kind of stretch five type type guy uh kind of on the you know never really in the rotation but a guy who got some minutes when the Sixers were were up or down big yeah I think it was pretty pretty encouraging like you mentioned you know he was great in the G League I mean MVP rookie of the year I think he made the defensive team as well um you know they, they almost went the whole way to get the G League championship which is which is great you know he was the sort of driving force there um so I think that alone you know warrants wants plenty of plays praise sorry um and yeah, I think I think he has some some good flashes. You know, he's he's really agile, um, really quick on his feet for his size, um, good length, runs the floor really well. Um, I think offensively, he's you know he's still working on the shot. I know that's something he wants to keep working on, and he doesn't have the smoothest jumper yet. And you know there were there were some times where he'd sort of dribble into long twos rather than than firing threes, and um, that's something I'm sure he'll work on. But I think. He definitely does have some skill there to work with. Like he had quite a few. I was just watching back through sort of some of his shots and attempts earlier, and he he did use his sort of handle quite well, just going past closeouts. Um, he's fairly nimble with the ball. Like he didn't always go into the most high efficient shots. Like sometimes he'd force stuff in traffic, and 
um, you know, he wasn't always super efficient around the basket and, you know, he wants to work on his strength as well. Um, but yeah, he has decent touch, you know, good speed, like I mentioned. And I think, you know, with his sort of upside as a shot blocker and, you know, a sort of switchable big, I think if the Sixers are looking for that kind of stretchy, athletic, switchable option, you know, when they when they sort of downsize, I think he has plenty of upside there. And, you know, there's plenty of things to work on, which we'll get to. But I think uh, I think for the most part, it was a very positive year. And, you know, the G League success was huge for him. So credit to him, you know, coming in as a 58th pick, um, you know, on a contending team. I think he sort of made the most of his minutes and, you know, kind of learned as much as he could in limited time. You can't expect him to have too much success in the NBA, you know, without a consistent sort of role. Um, but I, th- I think he did well. Yeah. Um, just to kind of give a, a to quantify the, his Geely dominance, he averaged 22.3 points, 11.9 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 2.0 steals, 1.8 turnovers or 1.8 blocks, excuse me, 2.6 turnovers. 58.8% from the field, 44.4% from three, 62.8% uh, on twos uh, for a tidy 65.9% true shooting percentage. Um, so he was clearly kind of the the class of the G League this year as a rookie, um, which is, I mean, I mean, it just doesn't happen very often where, where a rookie dominates the G League in that fashion and wins his MVP. Um, to me, I think his best performance in the NBA or most intriguing was uh, that blowout over the Thunder in late April. He had 10 points, nine rebounds, one assist, one steal, and two blocks. Uh, and a turnover was 5-7 from the field. Uh, and what I liked most is you kind of got to see some of his face-up prowess with his really quick first step. Um, because I think one thing one thing this, this is, is something he has to work on less so like a, his own fault uh, is that he'll have to kind of better blend into a complementary role offensively. Um, because in the G League, he got to be the man, right? Like he got to, everything was kind of centered around him. And, uh, and so he'll have to kind of, that's the biggest thing I want to see from him is, and I, I don't know if, you know, I assume he'll play um, summer league, but I, I don't know if that's where he'll get to really see maybe those improvements manifest. Um, I'll be more interested to see if he can get some, some preseason minutes in the fall. Um, if he's improved there, cause, cause he just felt a little, a little out of, out of sorts at times offensively um, when he was playing some of those, those late minute, those late minute games or those, those low minutes, you know, opportunities, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that's kind of the path for him because it's as good as he was in the G League, I don't think that's the role that is reflective of what he'll do in the NBA. And so that's not his fault. Like he was great in the G League. He's going to, if he's the best player on a team, he's going to get those touches. Um, but I think you'll have to better kind of figure out how to slot and do a small role if he really wants to kind of be that small ball stretch five that I think that kind of and that defensive playmaking stretch five that really would benefit the Sixers because they haven't had a lot of stretch fives during the kind of the Joel Embiid Ben Simmons era. It's been, you know, it's been Al Horford. It's been Mike Muscala. Um, you know, and obviously Al Horford, you know, was on a huge contract. It didn't make sense to just be used as a backup stretch five. Um, so um, that's the thing I'm really looking forward from him for, from him. But I really did like that game against OKC because you saw some really interesting stuff with his quick first step and ability to quick to just explode off the ground for finishes um, I think that's something that could really kind of be. I think we'll see a lot more of it in in, in the summer league. Uh, he and Isaiah Joe will be really fun to watch. Um, so that's kind of what I make of it. And for him, I, I give because even though he was great in the G League, I'm hesitant to give him an A for that reason because I don't think he quite ever fully assimilated perfectly into that. And I'm not trying to punish him, but I would give him a B plus um, just because I think he has to do more to really solidify an NBA role and kind of figure things out offensively in a smaller. Kind of a more specified role, specialized role there. But um, did you have any certain performances that stood out to you from from B-ball, Paul, Paul Reed, um, that you wanted to highlight, and then also kind of give us your your grade of his uh, rookie season? Yeah, I think the game you mentioned, um, the season finale against the Magic. Obviously, it was a very different scenario. And kind of the <laughs> season's kind of over by that point. Uh, bad opposition, you know. Six. Okay, C season was over too but... when when they played. So uh... yeah, <laughs> true, true, true. <laughs> yeah, that that was over for quite a while. Um, but yeah, I think that that game against Magic, you know, seventeen points, twelve rebounds, seven offensive rebounds. Um, he had a really nice like reverse putback dunk, um, which you just don't see too often. Um, kind of showing off his athleticism there. You know, ran the floor well. Um, had some good cuts to the rim. Like I think some of his performances like that showed a bit more of like you mentioned what he needs to do in that kind of reduced offensive role. Like he has the ability and the sort of physical skill set to, you know, run the floor. Well, I thought he, he thought sort of cut reasonably well this year at times, like Mm -hmm. if defenders just ignored him or if he found a little opening, 
around the basket, he could kind of sneak inside for dump-off passes and stuff. And I thought he did that reasonably well in this game. Um, and then January 11th against uh, the Hawks, he only had six points and it was a blowout loss. Like the Sixers were shorthanded. Um, but he had a few blocks, uh, only one foul in 20 minutes, which was good for him because he did foul quite a lot this year. Um, but he had a really nice block where he sort of closed out on a shooter, forced them to pass, then came all the way back to recover against Capella at the rim and blocked him. Um, and then he also uh, got switched on to Kevin Hurst at one point in isolation and blocked his three-point attempt, um, which was a pretty nice play, just kind of showing off his length again. And yeah, I think, you know, like you mentioned, kind of learning how to play in that reduced role is something that he needed to work on, I think. Yeah, some of the sort of struggles he had kind of shifting to the NBA is why I went for a B plus as well. I was torn between giving him that or an A minus, um, just trying to sort of weigh up the G League play. Um, but yeah, he did kind of settle for stuff sometimes. Like he went into quite a lot of tough floaters and runners um, when he was kind of trying to attack off the dribble and he'd kind of force things over defenders when he didn't really have any business like putting up a few of the contested looks he did. Um, and he can kind of get bumped off his spots at times around the rim. Just, you know, he's not too strong at this point. Um, he mentioned after the season was over that, you know, adding strength is one of the things he wants to do. Um, so I think, yeah, I think he knows what he needs to work on. He's mentioned his passing, shooting, finishing and strength is the kind of things he wants to address. And, you know, like you mentioned, it's going to be fun to watch him in summer league. Um, I definitely think there's plenty of upside there. Again, I think for the 58th pick, like the, the flashes he showed, the G League play he had and like the upside there is is a great pick for, you know, the 58th overall. Um, so, yeah, lots to work on. But I think overall there's there's plenty of uh, plenty more reasons to feel, you know, encouraged about his future heading into year two um, than you probably get for most 58th picks. So I think, uh, yeah, plenty of reasons to feel excited about his future, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. And just to kind of quantify, you mentioned that he struggled with fouls. He averaged 5.9 fouls per 36 minutes this year, um, which is not Dwight Howard levels. I think Dwight was in the 7 or 8 range. Um, but still still a little higher than you'd like from a guy you might want as a rotation player uh, in the next couple of years. So, yeah, I think the big thing, and you mentioned kind of the cutting. I did like how he was, when he played on the perimeter, he was good at kind of cutting the opening at times, but it felt like he almost kind of got restless off the ball at times. Like he wanted to set a screen, he wanted to cut, he wanted to crash the glass, do something. And sometimes it's like, it's okay. Like, just be a spot-up shooter. Like, we trust you to, to take and make those spot-up threes. The ball swings around. Too. Like, you don't got to always be be active. So I think a lot of times his his issues were errors of commission, which is where you do something rather than errors of omission where you fail, fail to do something. Um, and so that's that's better. I think that's what you want from rookie. Like, you want a guy trying to do things. So um, if you, again, kind of similar to Isaiah, as we talked about earlier, um, if you had to identify maybe one or two areas that you think he should improve and maybe actually – contend for a backup center spot next season behind Joel Embiid. Um, what do you think are kind of the keys for him to go in from kind of low minutes, you know, fan favorite to a guy who could legitimately earn some, you know, earn 12 to 15 minutes a game, maybe more whenever Joel Embiid is going to be out to, to preserve his own, his own health. Yeah. Well, probably, a, probably a sort of few of the things we've touched on, like, you know, the fouling, I think just kind of working on his timing and his discipline there, um, just sort of polishing his positioning, you know, around the rim um, and as a help defender, like that, that will come in time. You know, he, he's certainly, I think, got the skill set and, you know, upside as a shot blocker, but, but you know, that's something he can work on. Um, like I mentioned, just sort of forcing some shots in traffic at times. Like, like you said, he was trying to do stuff and that's good. You know, you like the confidence, but sometimes, you know, he'd, he'd kind of almost plan out the move he wanted to do and then just kind of go with it, regardless of how the, the defense guarded him. Like, you know, if he beat his man with a closeout, you know, that was solid, but he had, he had, you know, quite a few sort of looks where he'd kind of dribble across the lane, use a runner across the lane and, and just kind of force it up against, you know, a very sort of good contest. And, you know, there's just no need for that. And, you know, you like the confidence, but he just sort of needs to work on his shot selection a little bit there and just kind of know when to pick his spots offensively and not trying to do too much. And I think, you know, like you mentioned, I think sometimes he just needs to learn that it's good to just space from three. But I wonder <laughs> if maybe, you know, some of his sort of... uh sort of desire to kind of get inside the arc, you know, maybe comes from just wanting to do stuff like we've said, but also maybe just mm-hmm. not being super confident in his, in his sort of three point jump shot yet. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mentioned, there were a few times where he would kind of dribble inside from a pretty open look and then settle for a, you know, a 20 foot jump shot from two instead. Um, and, and at that point, you know, for a stretch big in, you know, the 2021 NBA, like you just, you just don't want to be doing that. You want to be taking the open threes when they're there rather than, you know, dribbling into long two. So I think if he can kind of grow in confidence from three, um, 
it's something he wants to work on. I think, you know, he did shoot reasonably well in the G League. Um, but I think just growing a bit more comfortable there would help him a lot. Um, and just adding a bit of strength, I think, would help him at both ends of the floor, just being a bit more sturdy kind of around the rim defensively and then just not getting bumped around as much when he is driving into the paint offensively. I think I think that would help him. So a few things to work on, but I think they're all attainable improvements to kind of develop over the summer and, and work on sort of through next season. Yeah, for sure. And I think even if he just accomplishes maybe a couple of those rather than everything you listed there, oh, yeah, um, yeah. he'll be he'll be totally fine. Not that you're saying otherwise, but yeah, I think the, the strength there is key to an extent because you mentioned kind of maybe him settling for, for runners or tough shots. And I think part of that is balanced too. He can kind of get easily dislodged by stronger, yeah. older, older big men in the NBA. And if he can kind of get, add, add some strength there and not be kind of not have that runner from eight feet be him drifting to his right rather than going straight up. That'll help too. So um, lots to like from, from B-Ball Paul, um, both on and off the court as a rookie. Um, and I think, again, it's similar to Isaiah Joe, your 58th, your 58th pick, um, who's like, tw- I think 23, I want to say, Paul Reed is. Uh, no, he's 22, excuse me, just turned 22. I apologize. If Paul Reed is listening to this, I apologize for, uh, <laughs> for exaggerating your age. But, um yeah, I mean, for your 21-year-old, I mean, he's 21 during the season, basically. Your 21-year-old, 58th overall pick to win G League, G League MVP. Um, you got to feel pretty. You got to feel pretty encouraged. There's certainly a foundation of skills to build off of. Um, but for everyone listening, that is going to do it for us today. Um, I'll be back uh, later in the week to kind of talk about maybe some of the bench guys, some of, more a little more time. Uh, of course, we we went pretty deep on. Uh, Paul Reed and Isaiah Joe, as I think was was worthwhile. Um, appreciate everyone for listening. But Tom, uh, before uh, I let you out here, um, give yourself a little a plug. Where can people read your work? Where can they find you? Uh, you can find all my work at libertyballers.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter as well at Tom West NBA. I share all my uh, all my writing there, all my all my video stuff. Um, working on a piece about Zach Levine at the moment. Just sort of you know the off seasons here for the Sixers, starting to look ahead at some potential trade targets. Um, so that'll be out pretty soon. But yeah, everything's at Liberty Ballers. Um, so yeah, you can find all my stuff there. Definitely recommend giving Tom a follow, uh, reading all of our work at Liberty Ballers. Um, Tom has been doing much more work than I have at Liberty Ballers as of late, <laughs> but uh, the entire crew over there does awesome stuff on the Sixers and did some pretty big offseason for the Sixers, of course. So uh, continue to listen to this podcast, continue to read the Liberty Ballers work if you do. And if you don't, uh, start start reading their work. Start reading our work, I should say. Um, for everyone listening, um, Please, please, please uh, review the podcast if you can. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, download it. Do whatever you can. All of your support means a ton to me. I appreciate all of it. Appreciate all of it. Uh, but I'll be back later in the week to continue this series of kind of reviewing the Sixers season uh, and their players. So uh, in the meantime, stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. I will talk to all of you again soon. <laughs>